0: welcome everyone to the mightiest podcast in the nine realms metas and mutants i am tombstone the dead man and this is my fellow avenger super Sai guy what up what up super Sai guy
1: i'll live in the dream caught <laughs> up on the latest round of comics right? and i have to say uh what, what was it here uh the, the latest issue of Hellions mm. had a really funny moment involving uh, the Arokan mutants, mm-hmm. Sinister, and then his Hellions.
0: <laughs> really?
1: The Hellions... Like, this is f- kind of Fallout from the X of Swords event. Right. But the Hellions found out that... <laughs> mission they went on for intel Mm -hmm. supposedly you can't you can't see my hands right now but intel is in quotation marks
2: right 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 right
1: it was really sinister sending a clone of himself and clones are kind of banned on krakoa which is another underlying plot uh, sent a clone of himself to steal roken mutant DNA For you know his cloning stuff Oh damn And the, I guess the clone Sinister survived mm-hmm. Kind of came back But when all the surviving members Of The Hellions came back They delivered the shit to him mm-hmm. And then he, he killed them all Immediately and had them Oh damn revived. So none of them knew about what
0: smart. Happened. That you know that's fairly sinister. And
1: <laughs> yeah. And it kind of got shown to them by one of the Arokan mutants who came to reclaim what was stolen. Right. And you just see like uh him like show the exact vision of what happened to them and sinister's like, "Hey, you can't trust it. The the clone version of him is like Yes You can't trust The literal Exact memories <laughs> Of what happened <laughs> And uh John Grey Crow, Who Back in the day Used to be known As Scalp Hunter
0: mm-hmm. I remember him I remember him
1: Yeah He's probably One of my favorite Characters in this Hellions run Wow Him and Wild Child But he turns around Like I'm going to Take out your eyes Essex And Tarn Who's the Iroke Mutant Is like yes I like that idea Do it and Mr. Sinister's like, he could, or you could all, and say it with me, kids. Eat shit! <laughs> <laughs> and then he proceeds to unleash, like, 40 clones of himself who just all start saying, like, Hooray! Hooray! It's our birthday! And it's like, oh my god.
0: Oh, man, that's hilarious. That is but hilarious. yeah, like, that
1: Hellions run has been pretty good. So I'm like, alright. But yeah, like, all of them just saw how like Sinister basically
0: he's an asshat
1: used him for like dirty jobs and straight up killed them to prevent them from, from remembering,
0: remembering it. yeah, yeah he's, a piece of, he's a piece of shit Sinister always been a piece of shit always always even before oh, yeah. he had been transformed by apocalypse he was a piece of shit he was experimenting on um, homeless on people in London and shit like he's a piece of shit he's a piece of shit I think he experimented on his own um, uh, baby or some shit. Yep. Like, he's a, he, Sinus has been a piece of shit. And it's, it's ironic that you were catching up with new shit because I went backwards to some old shit. And I found uh, a story, old Mighty Avengers story that has elements in it that I swear looks like they're going to use in What If. Um. The, the one particular storyline where, first of all, it was, it, it was a lot of stuff in there that was hilarious. Um, Hank Pym apparently did not want to lead that team, and he was kind of controlled into doing it by Hercules and Amadeus Child, right? So, there's a part in there where um, they thought Tony Stark was dead, he was not. He came he came through uh, when they was fighting uh, chiton right? This is what the, one reason why I think they might use that. And what if? So he was fighting. They was fighting Chaton, and um, Tony hit him with a repulsive blast in the face. So after he had knocked him down, but well, he was down but not out. Um, he said, "I'll be taking over from here." And and Pim was like, "Really? You'll be taking over from here? After all the stuff we did and we went through, what makes you possibly think that you're going to be taking this over?" And then he saw putting out a list of the stuff that Tony did that fucked up. Sending um Hulk into space, <laughs> right? Yeah. Having him come back as World War Hulk. Uh it was and it was like two or three other things that he mentioned that was fuck ups. The whole scroll invasion shit. Fuck ups. Tony Stark fuck ups, right?
1: Well, to be fair, the scroll invasion wasn't really his fault. The scrolls invading doing
0: that's true what they do. That's true. But but the way Pam broke it down, he was like, You tried a preemptive strike on them, got caught. <laughs> and the motherfuckers came down. So he he said, give me one reason why we should follow you now. He said three words. You're a Hank Pem <laughs> Yo, I stopped and laughed so hard and so long. Burn! <laughs> Such yep. a burn. That's such a burn, man. Such a burn. Um, I, I,
1: I believe the correct phrase there, as Sinister put it, <laughs> eat "shit." Eat shit.
0: <laughs> Yo, it was hilarious. That absolutely hilarious. So this was actually in a um a anthology of the Mighty Um Avengers. Now the thing that I saw in there, two things that I saw in there that I think. Looking at the trailer, especially one of the newer trailers, has me thinking that they're gonna use elements of this. One Chaton, God of Chaos, right, heavily connected with the whole um, Scarlet Witch shit. Dark, he wrote the Dark Home, right, um, and also there's a part in there where once he can't, he took over Quicksilver's body, he possessed his body because he needs a host to be here, and he was altering reality with every step and one of the things that well, was numerous of these things was these this this creature that had these tentacles and those tentacles looked exactly like the tentacles you see in oh, the what if shit
1: Shumagoreth.
0: yeah now that's the thing he they didn't he didn't call it that like they didn't even call it that he said it was something else but it looked like Shumagoreth to me but he called it something else this ch- the, with the the addition of chaton and those tentacle things and him talking about chaos magic oh and by the way scarlet witch was also in this book although we found out later it wasn't scarlet witch it was loki on some bullshit with his shape shit also i found this to be hilarious um loki was in sif's body at this time right this is during that era of time He then transforms himself into Scarlet Witch, and he's using all these powers, all these powers to show you just how powerful Loki actually is when the writers choose to write him that way. He was, the shit he was doing had everybody convinced that was Scarlet Witch, and that was just him using his magic. So it's like, that that was actually, I had missed this story. And that was actually the first time in a long time that I saw them have Loki really use his magic to that degree.
1: Well, I mean, they did that a bit recently in the lead up to the War of the Realms where uh, in the Doctor Strange books, Mm -hmm. where he legitimately used his powers so strongly that he actually convinced Doctor Strange... That Loki was the, the new sorcerer,
0: sorcerer Supreme. I read that. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, and
1: it's like, you know how powerful so you, you have, have to be, be yeah. trick Sorcerer Supreme facts. into thinking he, he's no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. Facts,
0: all facts. That's pretty impressive. Yo, I remember. I remember that story distinctly because, um, I had a, actually that was a very entertaining story. Um, one Strange showed all kinds of character flaws, like. <laughs> All kinds of character flaws in that whole arc, right? But when he went to Asgard and somehow and absorbed the magic, magic. Oh, my dude, dude, you're gonna make me that, read that, that story just a again. Good run. That, that was just a, good a good run, man.
1: And the War of the Realms is a pretty good crossover, yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, also, I've read uh, the beta ray built the latest beta ray Bill one.
1: Oh, man,
0: it was incredible. It, it, it was incredible. I mean.
1: That that one was nuts.
0: And absolutely insane, man. And the things I, I really love. And loved. just
1: Scourge being Scourge. Like, yeah, man, I'll be your wing, man. We're good.
0: Yo. See, this is what I mean.
1: You, you trying to get Sif back? Sure, get you, bro. I, got, I got you right. I got you, bro. Listen. Oh, shit. You're, <laughs> you're going to Muspelheim to, to fight Surtur? Fight Surtur? <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm in, man. I got you. You got
0: to love Scourge. You know the thing about Scourge? I legitimately did not like Scourge back in the day because the way the, ro- the writers wrote him, he was the heavy. He was the, he was the heavy, right? So well, that's,
1: thing. That, that's what he was, and he still kind of is. Right. It's just they've given him some depth, and ever since the Ragnarok arc, yeah. where he kind of sacrificed himself, yeah,
0: man. Yeah.
1: Every time he's appeared, he's actually kind of been more of a hero.
0: Yeah, dude. He he's, he, he's, he's not great. a hero
1: outright, Mm-mm. but ultimately what he wants the most is a good fight. Yeah. And he's kind of learned that if he's with the heroes,
0: he's going to get a good fight.
1: He's going to get a good fight because they try to fight fair. Right. The villains don't. So right. he actually gets more of a challenge
0: makes trying sense. to be the hero. That makes a lot of sense. Did you see the way they found they portrayed Sir This is the best I've ever seen Sirta. This is the best depiction of him ever. Like, he scaled down to the size of Beta Ray. And comm- that fight... And just absolutely oh beat my, the shit out of him. Oh, Beta my. Ray. Did you know Serta was, in fact, the John Wick of demons? Like, did you... <laughs> did, <laughs> did you know this? Because I
1: think <laughs> The best part is, is when Beta Ray called him out. Like, yeah, sh- sure. He scaled down to my size. But you didn't fight me on equal ground. That's why your weapon won't think you're equal. Thanks. And is like, all right, removes his own powers, and Beta Ray <laughs> basically fucking suplexes him oh into Oh, my
0: dude. With, <laughs> yo. <laughs> so, it was so crazy. You know what that scene reminded me of? That of scene where he scaled down to Beta Ray's size actually reminded me of when Zeus beat the crap out of the Hulk. Because when he hit Hulk with that lightning bolt the first time, and and Hella was like, not Hella, um, Hera, Hera was like, um, you know, he could destroy you with a single blast. And Hulk was like, then he'd be a coward. And Hera said, How dare you? And, and, and Zeus was like, No, 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 no. That's fine. Start cracking Let's his knuckles. Help. He's like, He's, like, he's <laughs> like, if he wants to get beat to death as a sacrifice, I'm totally with that too. And commenced to put hands and feet all listen, I've never seen Surta that. That well written, that interesting. He's usually this this being of overwhelming elemental force. You know what I'm saying? Like he's he's not he's never really been that interesting to me, other than just okay, he's the big bad that they got to go up against. But I liked him. I, I, I liked him in that story. And on top of that, um, they they did what I what I've been saying. They need to go back to. This was a long fight. This was not two panels here. Then the fight happens off-panel, and then no, you you got the fight on-panel. You got some of it off-panel as well, because you had to see what Pippinum was doing. Then you went
1: right back to the fight. That's what and, I'm talking about. Yo, Pip basically blowing oh, himself up. Oh, oh, strapped oh. a bunch of bombs to himself, teleported behind Sertor, and said, <laughs> "Fuck you!" It's like, yo,
0: come on, man. That's some good writing. That's like, a, like, that a good was a team
1: up. I never expected to see in there either. Not Whoa. only was it Beta Ray Bill and Scourge, which is a team up you don't really expect, <laughs> right? Right. Hit the troll, <laughs> and then they gave Scuttlebutt like an actual yeah. humanoid
0: form. Yeah. You
1: got to wonder how that's gonna play out because I too. feel like something there is
0: something's a little off. You could tell yeah. There's something that's a little S- off. Some-
1: something's gonna happen from that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Something's definitely a little off. I loved it though, man. Like like that that whole run. Like from the beginning. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's not
1: over unless that's the last one. No, it or. is. It's I think over. It's, it was like a five issue mini that, run. That that is
0: something. a dope, that is a dope run. I don't know how long Beta is gonna have that Twilight Sword, but I'm hoping he keeps it for a while. Um That shit is that shit was and very he, well done.
1: And the whole self-realization, like the whole things started when he's looking in the mirror and seeing his smooth face self and since he no longer has the powers to transform out of that or anything right? and Sif just isn't attracted to horse face (laughs) (laughs) goes on this quest finally gets the power to transform himself through the twilight sword goes back to his normal self looks in the mirror and all he's seeing is the horse horse face face. because that's the face that he knows and loves and it's like yo you
0: yeah. all fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in seeing how far that goes. But, as, as, I'm, I'm just glad that Beta, that Beta Ray, even though he, Beta Ray's always had issues, like issues. But he, but yeah. he's such a fucking powerhouse. I'm glad that he's back to being a powerhouse with issues. He got issues, but he's a powerhouse. I don't like. I didn't that that whole little uh, little short era of time, during the Prey storyline, where he was weakened because um Thor broke broke Stormbreaker. I don't like seeing um, Beta Ray Bill weakened. I like to see him as a. I remember he was on he was on board the um, the sword uh, ship, and I remember um was it uh, I forget who the who the uh, woman was with the green hair. She said oh, uh, Abigail Abigail Ab- Abigail. She had uh, um she had what looks like to be some sort of um, ambassadors from some other alien world up on the sword ship, and they saw Beta Ray. Beta, Beta Ray Bill and was like, I know formidable when I see one. Yup. That's cosmic over there. <laughs> Don't play with that. Don't play with that.
1: Well, so, yeah, like the fact that him losing the hammer made him weaken doesn't make sense when you realize without the hammer, he's basically Thor's equal. Facts.
0: He Before he had the hammer, he literally beat Thor in the hand to hand combat. So it didn't make sense. Now, the only thing I could see that they could use to make that, to square that circle is. At this time, Thor had the Odin force, so that scaled him up higher. But that still should mean Beta Ray should be beating the crap out of almost everybody else. Like, literally everybody yeah. else, he should be slapping around,
1: right? Without the hammer, his base is. Thor level. Is Thor level. His, yeah. his base is high end Asgardian.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not the 30 ton lifter. No, the 100 plus lifter. Asgardian. That's that's him. So yeah, they need to squ- They definitely need to square that circle better. And all I know is I didn't like it. I ain't like it. Like I like the praise story, but that part of it I didn't like. Like, come on, man, you can't be doing this to Beta Ray. Right? Now that he's back, and to me, that's a power boost. Twilight Sword is a power boost. That that's more than um, Mjolnir. Oh yeah, that's more than Stormbreaker. That's that's a power boost. So
1: you gotta wonder where
0: they're going with that. Yeah, because what's the legend behind the Twilight Sword? The legend behind the Twilight Sword is, if it's unsheathed, that could spell the end of the universe. He's walking around with that like, <laughs> like he did with Stormbreaker now. So, like, where's where's that going to go? I can't wait. And they better not, listen, that better not be a loose end they forget about while they talk telling other stories. Because, you know, comic companies are good for that shit. They're good for having writers come up with these fantastic story threads and then they get caught up with another event or some other shit to take place, and they never go back to that. We need to see that
1: yeah, that, see that that happens all too often
0: yeah, and now, I don't mind if they do it i would I would prefer if we had another run, another beta ray run, um but I don't mind if it unfolds in the pages of Thor, but I would prefer it to be another beta ray run or or some Avengers level event you know what i mean cuz there's the twilight sword like pretty sure you can if i was writing that story there's about 100 different scenarios i could use that Twi- twilight sword for to make that an avengers level event you know oh
1: yeah so what we'll you see. avengers is going through uh their own yeah thing right now yeah they are they are seem like they always the red- are <clears throat> the red room got a hold and captured she hulk mm mhm and we all know how that worked out for guys like Bucky.
0: <laughs> this is going to be ugly. <laughs> this is going to be ugly. Oh, it,
1: it's looking like it's starting off pretty ugly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, in, in retrospect, it's a, it's a good thing that Thor dropped the hammer off and the stand up in Asgard to be king. <laughs> I don't think you want I don't think you want to be down there with that bullshit. Don't nobody want to be down there with that bullshit. Um but anyway, today we are continuing A short mini-series on politics in comic books. Many times, as we stated before, people seem to take exception to the idea of politics in comic books. And usually I find those people haven't read a lot of comic books. Or at least haven't read them for any long length of time. Because that's always been a part of it. Always. Always. So um, today we will continue that um, with, you know... How politics tend to overall shape comics in the first place But before we get to that We have some stories for the news I'll let you get the first one
1: Alright So Again, this is something we all kind of knew
0: Yeah Yeah.
1: A while ago Yeah But Marvel has confirmed that T'Challa will not be recast in the MCU at any point
0: I think that's for the best I know people; some people disagree But I think it's for yeah. the best
1: So The project still hasn't been pushed back From the previously announced May 2022 release date it's good to hear. But with production initially scheduled To begin next March Before the tragic passing of leading man Chadwick Boseman MCU's Black Panther 2 is surely facing An inevitable and completely Understandable delay after all, the cast and crew are trying to process the devastating loss of an actor who built a reputation as one of the most genuine and compassionate figures in the industry, mm. with countless <clears throat> ah, with countless friends and former collaborators revealing the extent of his generosity in front of and behind the camera. Of course, Marvel's long game has always reportedly been to have Letitia Wright's Shuri assume the mantle of Black Panther. Something that will now presumably happen much sooner than anybody would have wished for. Hmm. The actress has so far refused to be drawn into the speculation as you'd expect, but tipster Mikey Sutton is claiming that not only is Shuri going to become the MCU's Black Panther, but the driving force of the sequel's story will see her trying to earn that right and prove herself as a worthy successor to T'Challa. He also goes on to say that Marvel has no intention of recasting Bozeman's character at any stage, which is an obvious decision given his instantly iconic performance that will endear as a monument to his legacy. Every source I contacted was firm in T'Challa not being recast, says Sutton. He is is a significant part of Bozeman's legacy. He will always be T'Challa, forever in our hearts. Black Panther 2 is going to be the most emotional entry into the MCU's history based on the tragic circumstances but the best way to honor the actor is to deliver a fitting successor to the beloved original that ascended to legendary status as one of the most important and influential blockbusters of the 21st century
0: yeah absolutely um, like I said there, there's a, uh, a a debate on this amongst the fans but for me I um, just because I was I was a fan of Chadwick Bozeman before uh, the Black Panther stuff, the Black Panther stuff just really solidified it. And um, I f- for me, they can continue the story without him being recast. I don't, I don't have a problem with saying a badass Shuri. You know what I'm saying? I don't have a problem. We see the, her little going through the little stages with take to become the Black Panther. She's smart. She's a badass. I, ironically speaking, um, she might be the closest to the representation of Black Panther in the comic books by the end of her, her hero's journey. Because in the comic books, we know Black Panther is not just a warrior, he's extremely intelligent, um, tactical, science. He knows all of this stuff too. So it's like um, Shuri already having the scientific background, becoming then a physical badass. That, that combination there is what I've always seen Black Panther as in the comic books. And it's kind of the side that they really didn't highlight a lot in the first Black Panther movie. Or in Civil War. Um, like you did hear that he designed that the, the costume. But when you see his costume design next to Shuri's design, you could see who at least in this version of the characters, you could see who was the one that was truly the genius, genius level in science, um, there and it was Shuri. So, like I said, the combination of her being, um, brilliant already and then becoming a a formidable physical threat, I'm here for that. I, I'll, I'll watch that. I'll watch that. Um, now this next story is interesting. So, uh, Penguin only in five or six scenes in the upcoming Batman movie. Uh, it's fairly interesting. So. Let me uh, increase the size on this front. There we go. Um, aside from Robert Pattinson's first outing as the Dark Knight, DC fans are eagerly anticipating the arrival of Matt Reeves' standalone The Batman Project to see its trio of villains Catwoman, the Penguin, and the Riddler. Judging by the official trailer that first dropped last year, the film has reimagined both Oswald Cobblepot and Edward Enigma, and it will be interesting to see how they differ from the previous film iterations of the villains. However, one of the film's supposed main baddies apparently won't have much of an impact on the project as previously speculated. According to Colin Fowle, who plays Oswald Cobblepot aka the Penguin, his involvement in the film is actually little to none. Appearing on the Happy Sad Confused podcast, the actor revealed that he is only in the film for at least six scenes, which sounds quite absurd when you think about it. He claims, I'm only in it for five or six scenes. So I can't wait to see the film because it won't be ruined by my presence. Really, it's a freebie to me. I'll get a little bit uncomfortable for the effing nine minutes I have. And then the rest of it, I can't wait to see how he, Slat, come on, Reeves, brought this world to life. Um, Personally, I think Reeves made the right call of not putting too much focus on the Penguin. Because Riddler, who's obviously the main baddie, couldn't afford to be overshadowed in the film. It's safe to assume that the film sets up Cobblepot as the eventual villain for the sequel, and I can't wait to see what Colin brings to the table. Obviously, he's not going to pull a Danny DeVito, but I'm positive that his version of the character will blow us all away. Now, I actually think this is a good idea for different reasons. Um, Typically, a lot of uh, directors can't really pull off the multiple uh, uh, main villain type thing, like there's got to be one that they focus on that they they make us care about, right? Yeah. Um, and if it's too many, that old saying, too many cooks spoil the, uh, the soup, like I kind of feel like that's the direction it would go in if they put too much emphasis on the penguin. You know? Um, now, Catwoman's a little different uh, in that she is as much not as she's been a, a villain. she's not necessarily a villain so as much as she's been maybe an adversary or the ops from time to time with Batman she's just as much been an ally right so I don't I don't I don't think that that will ruin things much but having too many main villains take up too much space in the plot could be an issue so I'm glad they're not doing that um what's next
1: next up is James Gunn shuts down big myth about the MCU. Oh, damn. So, director James Gunn just dispelled one of the biggest rumors in the DC and Marvel rivalry. Responding to a tweet from a fan, which actually, James Gunn does this a lot. He He's very big on fan interaction on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You, you see it all the time with him answering questions and stuff like that. Yeah. Or like, someone asks something, he'll be like, yeah, this is what happened here. It's like, or this is why we did this in that movie. He's Absolutely. He's really good for fan interaction. Mm. It's probably part of why everyone, outside of the fact that he does make some good films. Yeah,
0: yeah, that helps uh, too. The
1: fact that he also interacts with everybody definitely makes him more beloved right, to all these people, right? So it's like responding to a tweet. Gunn denied the accusation that Marvel actors are banned from participating in DC projects and called it complete nonsense. (laughs) Shortly afterwards, another fan suggested that it was actually the other way around, that Warner Brothers didn't allow their actors to transition to Disney's Marvel Universe. Gunn reaffirmed that that practice doesn't make any sense and doesn't take place (laughs) on either side.
0: Ah, Thank you, Mr. Gunn. And,
1: And... and it's like and this rumor has been around for a good part of at least a decade, but yeah. it hasn't once yeah. proved to be true. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds has played on both sides with Deadpool and Green Lantern. Facts. Ben Affleck, Idris Elba, J.K. Simmons. Facts. They've all appeared in starring roles across both franchises. Even Josh Brolin first appeared as the star of DC's 2010 Shaun film Jonah Hex. yep. Uh, Gunn's tweets come to lead up the release of his first DC film, The Suicide Squad, after a messy departure and then return to Guardians of the Galaxy. Gunn supported his claim that actors are free to explore both sides of the superhero cinema spectrum with a list of stars who've appeared in both. Now the rumor's been cleared up courtesy of James Gunn, fans can get thinking about who they'd like to see crossing the franchise bridge to take up roles of other iconic characters.
0: You know, you know what this is, right? So inherently, in the uh, comic book community, comic book readers community, there is a rivalry between Marvel and DC amongst the fans. It just is, and yeah. this this is them trying to expand that rivalry to cinema, and it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. It just doesn't. All right. As long as the scheduling is right. You know what I'm saying? And that well, contract. Well, it's just
1: like uh, supposedly Henry Cavill's had a bunch of meetings with Marvel executives yep. in the last like few weeks, like three, four weeks. Right.
0: It's like if that, if that, if if they were banned from doing shit like that, that wouldn't be a thing. And again, um, there's no reason for it because with the proper contracts and scheduling, it's not stepping on each other's toes. It's just not. <laughs> it's just not. So. I for one would love to see. We said this last week. I would love to see Henry Cavill as a gladiator over there <laughs> in the Marvel Universe. I'm I'm here for it. Um, but he could be any other Superman analog too, or he could be Captain Britain. I I I I, I wouldn't mind seeing him be Captain Britain either. Um, so yeah, man, stop the nonsense. Keep keep that that comic book rivalry amongst the fans where it is. You feel me? Like, come on. Let's not do that. Um, and the next and final story, David Goyer talks about why Marvel is more successful than DC. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, that's obvious. Eh, maybe.
1: Like, but- remember, D- David Goyer was involved with the Blade Trilogy. Yeah. But he yeah. was also the guy who wrote Man of Steel.
2: Right. So This is
1: the same guy who told us that Warner Brothers legitimately tried to say, well, wh- if we destroy the ship, Superman <laughs> can't go back
0: to crypto. <laughs> Yo. Yes. So you can trust me. Trust trust David Goya here. Um, so through 13 years in Hollywood, Marvel Studios has grossed nearly $23 billion at the box office. Okay, let's look at Pregnant Pause right now. I'll say it again, has grossed nearly $23 billion at the box office, a feat no franchise has come close to toppling. Pulling inspiration from Marvel Comics, the MCU has outpaced its direct rival Warner Brothers DC Extended Universe by nearly $18 million, and the gap will likely only grow as Marvel Studios continues to release four movies a year, so now I gotta spin the block on last year right around the fall close to the fall beginning of fall, whatever when this stupid ass hashtag was going around Twitter the MCU is over yeah, those of you that retweeted that, you should feel ashamed we are ashamed to have you as part of this community you are too stupid to live in our community Go be a Harry Potter fan, Doctor Who, or something like that. Stay the hell up out of this, because you sound dumb. Um, anyway, to continue, uh, it's a night and day difference between the two franchises. And that's something Batman versus Superman, Dawn the Justice writer, David S. Goya, knows all too well. According to the scribe, it's simply a matter of having the right infrastructure in place. In a new interview with THR, Goya details the carousel of executives that continue to rotate in and out of Warner Brothers and not allowing the corporate synergy to bloom. When it comes to Marvel Studios, on the other hand, Kevin Feigate has overseen the outfit since the MCU's inception. I think one of the issues is that Marvel's had consistent leadership for the last 15 years or more, whereas DC hasn't, Goya told the trade. There have been all of these changes in terms of who is running DC. That is fundamentally very hard. It's hard to make any headway when leadership is changing. The writer went on to add Marvel's dedication to the source material. Save for the rare exception, characters largely look and act like their comic book counterparts, pleasing longtime fans of the decades old Marvel lore. One of the other things that made Marvel incredibly successful is all of their adaptations are true to the source material. Ant Man feels like Ant Man. The Hulk feels like the Hulk. They don't try to change things up, the writer added. I would say. Try to hew closer to what was the original intent. So it's having a consistent universe, having consistent leadership, and staying true to the source material. Here, fucking here.
1: David Goyer gets it.
0: He gets it. He he. Get, and this is the, this is the thing about changing leadership. For those of you who may be confused as to why that's important, typically in these corporate settings. When a new leader comes in, new CEO, new whatever comes in, they want to put a stink, the, the, their stink on the, the company. Their uh, uh, energy, they want it mirrored by the company. See, this is the difference I made when I got here. That's not always good. Now, in the case of D.C., some might argue they need some new leadership. However, I would, I would caution you, that's only if that new leadership is actually going to be supported and plans and they plan on letting it stay there a, a while to metastasize. If they don't do that and it's just a new guy coming in changing shit, then he's out the door. then another new guy comes and he's changes shit, then he's out the door. It's going to look like a convoluted mess, aka what we have happening right now. It's a mess. and I hope they pull about the mess. We said this many times on the show. we are fans. Of DC Comics and the animated stuff and all of that. But you got to do better with these movies, man. <laughs> Let Marvel show you the way. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just saying. Um, but anyway, that's the news for this episode. We're about to get into our um, the main theme of the program today. And that is how politics shape comics. I'm gonna let my man Super Saga dive in.
1: All right. Well, again, as as we've been talking about the last bit, politics has always been around comics. Always. For those of you who don't know this, Batman originally killed people. Yeah. His whole thing against guns started when he had. Like I think it was like the second major writer to work on them mm-hmm. was very anti NRA and all anti It's like yes, public can have guns, but we shouldn't be allowing like complete open Just access anybody remember, to remember this have is it. back in the thirties and forties, facts, right?
0: Facts, facts,
1: And he was like you shouldn't be allowing everyone, there needs to be you know, you have to, you should have to go through training to be able to own all these, like, you know, most countries that allow everyone to have guns do.
2: Right, right. You
1: have to train with them. Right. And, so that's why he became anti-gun and anti-killing and all that. So it's like, you're going all the way back to the 30s and 40s, and honestly, if you go through, like, pulp comics, Mm -hmm. you can probably, which was, like, you know, before the modern comic, Yeah. you can find politics in the stuff there too.
0: Absolutely. Let's hold up. So let's stay here on this Batman thing for a second. So, like you said initially, Batman was shooting people.
1: And, and killing
0: them. And killing them. This this was not a not not up to debate. This is literally in the record, right? So I find it ironic now that a lot of the people who are who complain the most about politics in comic books tend to have a tend to be right leaning right? They tend to be right-leaning and one of their things is um, oh, it's full of the SJW stuff and they're pushing left-wing politics. But if you talk to them about Batman, if right now, if right now they they released a, a animated series or a comic book or a live-action thing where Batman was whipping out the gat and shooting people, these same people will say, that's not Batman. Batman doesn't use guns. Because if, be, if you're going to be a purist about it, he does. He initially used yeah. guns. He initially shot and killed people, and I find it, I find that to be kind of funny because the thing that you hold him in high regard for actually goes contrary to your political leanings, and that was changed to be that way for reasons I'm sure you would disagree with now, and yet you 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 would hold that up as an intrinsic. uh, Element of who Batman is as a character. He doesn't doesn't like guns. You guys don't see how ironic that is. Like, it's always been here. Longer than before you guys picked up your first uh, (laughs) Bay Bar the Elephant comic book, (laughs) your first Archie comic book. It was politics and comic books. And this is a classic example of it.
1: Yeah. So, <clears throat> we're we're talking, and like, gotta remember, it's not just this,
2: right? Right.
1: Uh, look at uh, Art Spiegelman's comic Mouse, mm.
2: which was literally
1: that whole uh, mouse and cats, where like the mouse were basically treated, and it was a, a parallel to the Holocaust, right? Mice were the Jewish people, and right. the cats were the Nazis, right? Uh, early Black Panther. Where they were regularly told they need to have more white characters. So, they made Black Panther visit the U.S. (laughs) and kick the shit out of the KKK. And they got away with it because technically the KKK were white characters. That's all you asked for, was more white characters.
2: That's right.
1: That's right. Uh, Hell, even churches in the 40s and early 50s were putting out their own comics. Hmm to warn people of the dangers of communism.
0: Yep, they used to call them tracks.
1: Yep, I remember. Yeah. As a
0: matter of fact, um, there are some uh, churches that still do that uh, because I can't tell you how many times in the last at least uh, 20, 20 years um, I, they've knocked on, like Jehovah's Witness will knock on the door and they'll have those same little comics. That's what they are. These little comics. Um, they, yeah. They're not in the, um, the standard size of a comic book but that when you open them up the panels, word it, bubbles, comics. artwork, it's comics. It's comics.
1: It's like you have that there's you have GI Joe. Right, which is basically military propaganda comics.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's,
1: that's all it is.
0: And y'all love it, by the way. And then
1: like even going into like marvel where you have shield which is primarily an american thing even if it's supposed to be international right uh there's their russian counterpart sickle which is obviously you know soviet union themed even though soviet union's not around anymore they Mm -hmm. still use sickle yeah avengers versus the winter guard avengers teaming up with the Chinese superhero team, the People's Defense Force. Politics has always been and will always Always be be. a part of comics. And it's shaped both authors, artists, companies, uh, companies. it's shaped uh, movie directors
0: Uh Uh
1: and some of their stuff. So I'm going to start off with one like, this is This is a political belief I absolutely do not believe in at all.
0: Me either.
1: And that is Ayn Rand.
0: Ayn Ayn Rand collected Social Security, y'all. But anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. For someone who is against all that Mm, kind of thing. mm, mm. Actively living off of it. You know, a little hypocritical, but, you know, whatever. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, no one's perfect, but it's just... When when your entire political theory is government bad, private corporation good, Good. Mm -hmm. and then you just actively live the exact opposite way on purpose. Right. But Ayn Rand's uh, theory of objectivism was heavily influential on one of the early comic greats, Steve Ditko. Right. And also... You can see their influence throughout the DCEU because Zack Snyder is also an avid follower of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Yeah. To the point of he's making a movie based off of one of her books. Right. So, there's four main thoughts of of Ayn Rand's objectivism. Absolute reason... Objective Reality, Individualist Self-Interest, and Free Market Capitalism. Or laissez-faire, for those of you who actually remember that aspect from high school social
2: studies. Right.
1: Or junior high, depending on where you were. But... Ayn Rand described objectivism as the concept of man as a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his own life with productive achievement as his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute and that was kind of the basis of her two works Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead where they actively stress rugged individualism and success of individuals over the good of the group. That isn't okay. I'm
0: you know I'm not even gonna delve into it, but
1: that is insanity. Yeah. <laughs> go, right.
0: We could go into an go absolute into that, yeah.
1: full non comic yeah, yeah, discussion on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you you see that kind of influence in comics. Steve Ditko was a very Very big on there is no gray, it's either black or white, it's either good or evil. No, you know, which you're following into the absolutism of Mm -hmm. objectivism. Mm -hmm. There was no compromise. Look at you know, Spider Man, for example, Steve Ditko was co creator alongside Stan Lee. And his belief anyone who stands by and watches evil instead of standing against it is just as responsible for said evil. Mm -hmm. Peter Parker once stood by and watched evil happen. The mugger at the store who later murdered Uncle Ben. Right. And that sort of became a huge driving force behind Spider-Man. He's always now looking to do the right thing. He's always actively doing that because he learned if he stands by and watches evil, he is evil. Right. And that became a huge part. But look at his uh, supporting cast, especially in the early days, and you start seeing that whole uh, individualism and, and that kind of aspect in the fact that you have your Norman Osborne. You have your J. Jonah Jameson, whose premises is, is self made yep. billionaires yep. and billionaires who always took their own self interest over everyone else's, mm-hmm. and it's what made them successful. Be- their beliefs were unwavering. Osborne was, you know, evil in that same sense, but he still. Achieved everything he did through his individualist beliefs,
0: and somehow, according to that thing, that would make him heroic. Then, right? He'd be he'd be heroic. According to that philosophy, he'd be heroic. He's heroic. He mastered his self-interest. <laughs> See, he mastered himself. Can you imagine that? I was more selfish than anything I was more selfish than anything else. And I'm I'm a hero,
1: I guess. Because he served what his beliefs were. Yeah. But then you also saw this kind of thing with some of his other creations. For DC, he created Hawk and Dove, like Mm -hmm. the original Hawk and Dove. Because there has been multiple forms of this. Right, right. The original Hawk and Dove were brothers with opposing ideas. Hawk was all about being that tough, macho man, aggressive, violent... Right. You know, and Dove was more about being an intellectual, reasoning things through, and all this stuff. But because of the political beliefs of Ditko and through Ayn Rand and all that, he was known for drawing Hawk is big and strong and full of conviction. Mm -hmm. But because Dove was a bit more of a passive character. He actively drew Dove as weak. He drew Dove as feminine. He yeah. drew, because as far as he was concerned, being feminine was being weak.
0: And as a matter of fact, if you guys um, go and watch the Justice League animated series, um, the episode with Hawk and Dove on it, you'll see exactly, like because they use those, um, those exact same uh, uh, character traits. In the animated series as well, on those episodes, and you can literally, you just look at the way Dove is drawn, and look at the way Hawk is drawn, look at the mannerisms of Hawk, look at the mannerisms of Dove. So, yeah, that's absolutely uh, um, what, what what that was supposed to depict.
1: Yeah, and this ended up causing them to not be a traditional Brains and the Brawn type duo. Mm-hmm. It was eventually just a guy who was passive trying to do good and a guy who was active and aggressive and individualistic doing good and ultimately constantly saving the other person instead of being a, an a actual team. duo
0: uh-huh.
1: team. It was definitely more of a not quite sidekick but similar to that
0: and it almost seems like what uh, uh, Mr. Dicko was doing was playing out his um, political philosophy in the form of these characters and by virtue of that proving himself right by having Hawk always mostly coming to the defense of Dove proving himself right every time Right, so yep. that that's that's a political stance transferred over into the actual comic books themselves, and I didn't hear nary a peep out of a lot of you <laughs> before about any of this stuff.
1: Yep, and then eventually Ditko was let go from DC. Yeah. He stopped wanting to work there. DC stopped wanting him to work there, so it was kind of mutual, right? And it was heavily because of his political beliefs at the time.
0: Damn, that's and, crazy. That's crazy because that would mean that um,
1: that it's always been political. It's always
0: been political, and so political, as in, in fact that the legendary Steve Ditko <laughs> you know saying left these major companies because man. Because his politics was that important to him.
1: Yeah. And I mean, good for him for standing up for predictions and everything. Absolutely. But again, it absolutely shows how this has kind of been there since the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But after leaving DC, he joined Charleston Comics, which was later acquired by DC. But that's (laughs) That's another story. At the time, it was its own company. Right. Where he created uh, one of the, a watered down version of a character he originally wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The original one was not Comics Code Authority approved, ah. so he created a watered down version of that character, and he ended up publishing the non Comics Code Authority one as well. Right, but and that would have been Mister A. But the Comics Code Authority approved one was The Question.
0: Mmm. I actually and like that character too. It,
1: and it was about finding the truth at all cause rigid, unchanging beliefs. And you even see him uh, not, qu- not quite quote Ayn Rand, but mm. summarize the beliefs. Right. In in the comic that eventually that comic where he explained that got directly quoted in Justice League Unlimited, yep. the animated series.
0: I remember that. That's when he was talking to uh, Lex Luthor, Lex right? Lex
1: Luthor. Everything that exists has a specific nature. Each entity exists as something in particular. That has characteristics that are part of what it is. A is A. But no matter what reality he calls home, Luther, Luther is, is Luther. Luther. <laughs> His character Mr. A...
0: That A is for ass.
1: <laughs> it's basically that belief taken to an extreme. Right. Which ironically makes him a very passive character. Mm. Uh, he Interesting. He lets villains die, but doesn't take an active stance in bringing them to their deaths. Mm. It, the premise is, is he would let the character's decisions play out. And he just basically watched him. It's like, oh, you're holding on for your life at the edge of this building. I'm, I'm not going to cause you to fall. I'm just going to stand here and watch. If you can't make it up on your own, that's your own problem.
0: You know what that reminds me of? And
1: it became a very passive character, which is...
0: Something he said he wasn't a fan of, right? He yeah, he,
1: he hated it.
0: And, and that, that reminds me of that scene in in Batman, the first... uh. uh that one with um ah damn I can I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name that played him Bale, um Christian Bale that part where he told they were they were in that uh that car the subway car headed towards that building to blow up or whatever and he told Rajagul um I'm not going to kill you but that doesn't mean I have to save you and he literally just let him stay in that car and crash and Kareem and blow up and die and shit that kind of reminds me of that scene right there where he was like I'm not gonna kill you but I don't have that don't mean I have to save you <laughs> that's basically what Mr. A for ass did right there
1: yeah and we also have we're gonna go into a bit of Zack Snyder here mm-hmm. who was also very heavily influenced by Ayn Rand's objectivist beliefs right where you look at movies like Man of Steel, Clark's parents actively telling him don't go out there and do anything. You don't owe them anything. <laughs> it's literally the whole rugged individualism. Yeah. You don't do things for the collective good unless it directly benefits, benefits you, right. you. Right.
0: Ironically and... the least heroic sentiment <laughs> ever. Ever, yeah.
1: and kind of an antithesis of who Superman, Superman is, is. Yeah. yeah. And that was basically, and you kind of see that mentality throughout the other movies, especially the ones that Zack Snyder did himself. Yeah, you see that throughout his uh, Batman vs Superman and his Justice League. I'd say Suicide Squad, because technically that's Snyderverse, even if he didn't write it, but that's always kind of been the premise of the Suicide Squad. Anyway,
2: right, right. They're
1: villains, so... so, Yeah. Yeah. So that's just more what it is. It's rather rather than... uh, Rather than it being directly this, because the creators of it weren't really influenced by objectivism. It was just, this is a team of villains. We're going to...
0: Gonna the are going to do like villains controlling
1: too. them are going to be is going to be extremely ruthless yeah. because it's how you have to handle a team of a super villains,
0: villains right 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 um You want to handle
1: this next one here?
0: Yep. Um so Stanley speaking of po- politics and comic books when you think of Stanley his name his image his voice is synonymous with the the genre, right? Stan Lee was remarkably political throughout his entire career, and it made its way into the comic books.
1: Um, What? You mean a Jewish dude who grew up and lived in America but witnessed the Holocaust uh, (laughs) had political stances and let it show?
0: Ironically enough, yes. Uh Uh, So, you know, he used to write these things called um, Stan Soapbox, and for those of you who are really just starting to read comics in the last few years, you probably wouldn't know that. But yeah. Well,
1: that, that's not true. After his passing, for the for like that year after his passing, they were putting.
0: They were oh pumping, they were publishing okay okay. It, so, it
1: was always one specific one, but it was probably his most known one that they would always put up in like a rest rest in peace Stan Lee, and it was basically about fighting against racism. Because right. That's right. always been Stan's biggest thing.
0: Which is, by the way, political. And for those of you that are confused about why that's political, because racism deals with systems. Like, it's one thing to have a, a personal belief about other groups of people, but you don't have the power to enact anything or change their lives. But when you have these personal beliefs and you are in power and you can enact laws that affect people, entire groups, generationally, have them with no access to generational wealth. Um, have them their their branding basically fucked up, and have them looked at as a certain thing that's negative. And as a result of that, even people without power tend to look at them a certain type of way. That's all political. That's all political. Um, one of his uh, this is like the classic um soapbox that that I think um Cyrus so was talking about. And I'm going to read it because I think it's necessary um, to to get just a handle on how very political comic books was. So he says, let's lay it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But unlike a team of costume supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch in a snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them. To reveal them for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hang up is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him to a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another. But although anyone has the right to dislike any individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane, to condemn an entire race, to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if a man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, And only then, we will be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who calls all his children. Now, for me, separate the God talk about it. A lot of stuff that he's saying in here, not only do I agree with it, but it's political. (laughs) It's political. What are you talking about? And Stan had no problem speaking out against any of that stuff. And to make examples of those things in his work. Why? Because just like Hollywood does, just like uh, uh, TV and, and other uh, forms of, of, of writings do, they are created to help shape and influence opinion as well as tell a story. So the idea that you can separate somebody's political beliefs from their art of the time Is laughable It's ludicrous And it's a bit of wishful thinking And it's also So A part of this Is selfishness Because you see When you see things in a comic book That mirror your political belief You have nothing to say about that Nothing You're good with it This is just good old fashioned comics but the moment that writer takes a stance through the characters and through the stories that you disagree with, some chucklehead will walk along later and go, hey, man, hes put, I don't like when comic books get too political. No, that's not really what the deal is. You don't have a problem with comic books being political. You don't. You have a problem with politics that you don't share being in comic books. Yes. That's actually and what's happening.
1: That, that's the biggest thing. And, like, the Stan Soapbox you read mm-hmm. was November 1968.
0: A year before I was born.
1: Like, and he was doing these, like, he would often repeat these ones, mm-hmm. but he would regularly update it, and it would just go through a cycle of the ones he's already published. Right. But he'd put out, like, a new one every couple like a year or two, right? So right. and it, it just sort of cycled through what he put out. All the way up until the 80s he was doing this. Yeah. Like like I said, that's straight up from 1968. And it kind of shows where uh whenever you talk to him about certain characters mm-hmm. like Magneto and Namor and Doctor Doom how he never actually called them villains himself. Right, right. They were always people with their own problems and different views. Whether those views could be considered right or wrong is a different story, but Mm -hmm. they were always their own people. They were always complex characters, and they had their own problems and their own views. And it kind of ties into our first episode in this series. Magneto was never meant to be a villain. Ever. He was... He was basically the mutant version of Malcolm X. Yeah, he
0: was. An, uh,
1: he was. He was a direct comparison. Exactly. 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 Now and again, fair. It's kind of fair that Magneto got perceived as a villain because Malcolm X was, while he was alive, actively perceived as a villain by the establishment exactly. and everything else. And exactly. That was the perspective pushed. He was. He, he was encouraging violence and anger, and he hated the country. He wanted all white people dead, even though
0: none of those things were true. <laughs> those are, yeah,
1: the majority of that was just absolutely no basis. This,
0: this was propaganda by system. Um, what Malcolm merely preached most of the time. This is back during his Nation of Islam run self defense. Yeah. Now, anybody from doing that during that time. Go back and look at the history of that time. They were lynching black people. They were beating the shit out of black people in the streets. And this man saying, defend yourself. This is one of his literal quotes. One of his literal quotes is, we teach our people here to be good citizens. Obey the law. Respect the law. Don't commit violent acts against anyone. But if anyone puts their hands on you, take them off the planet. That... (laughs) Is not about actively going out seeking to hurt anybody. That is about, mind your business, follow the law. But if somebody puts their hands on you, you have the right to defend yourself to the fullest extent of your ability. So, I don't know. This is literally what my mom taught me <laughs> to, to be my behavior in school. Don't go around But if somebody touches you, you better defend yourself most of you have yeah. heard that from your parents older brother uncle whatever but because he was speaking in a way that they were unaccustomed to hear a black man speaking they were felt threatened by that absolutely threatened and it was really their own bigotry that was playing, playing as a filter through their heads to what he said because the last thing they wanted was for the group of people that they had emasculated Uh, disrespected, murdered, all of this stuff to have thoughts of saying, you know what? I'm a human. You're not just going to come over here and do this to me. We're going to fight. They didn't want that. So him saying that definitely was a threat to them and how they wanted their society to go. That's not unlike Magneto at all. The only thing you can say about Maggie is that Maggie was an active revolutionary. (laughs) Maggie was an active revolutionary. You know, but he had great reasons. How could you not understand Magneto's reasons? He literally just, you know,
1: look at Namor. Exactly. Most of the times he goes through villainous phases, Mm -hmm. he's been a hero just as much as he's been a villain. Absolutely. But a lot of the times when he's doing villainous things that are considered villainous, it's when he's actively standing up against countries and corporations. Polluting the earth. Right. right. Which 70% of the earth being Mammer's domain. Yeah. With all the oceans. Right? Like.
0: He has the so biggest empire I, on the planet.
1: <laughs> of course, anytime he stands up for that, it comes into interest of the powers that be. Right. So, therefore, he is a villain. Yeah. And that's kind of how it goes. Like, there was a while there where he was actively funding Luke Cage and Danny Rand because mm-hmm. Danny Rand's company, every time Namor was like, hey, this is happening and it's causing all this damage, Danny was like, all right, we got to change that because something about being raised amongst monks yeah. with, with uh, a lack of material interest and more interest in the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right. Make right. him think, like, oh, hey, you know what? Yeah, sure, this might cost me money, but if it's saving the planet, it's worth it.
0: It's it's totally worth it, because we all gotta live here.
1: Yeah, so Namor was, like, actively funding them for a while. Wow. Wow. And that was, like, through the, what was it, the Oracle Foundation or mm-hmm. whatever?
0: hmm
1: Back in, I guess that would have been, like, what, 90s?
0: Yeah, it's like the 90s. Like yeah. Yeah. But that was a long time ago. Um, it's it's like you said, like even with that, with Namor's position on um keeping the seas clean and not destroying that that ecosystem down there, that is not just a uh well, in my view, um self preservation of all life on the fucking planet. It's also a political stance. Like like there are there are laws that are put in are supposed to supposedly put in place to protect sea life, so that's political. In order for laws to get passed, you have to go through the process of politics, right? That's political, um, even even with Dr. Doom. Do- Dr. Doom is the leader of, he's a whole leader of a nation. How is that not, po- <laughs> how is that not political? <laughs> like, seriously, how is that not political?
1: And the thing is, like with that one especially, They have actively gone into the nuances of diplomatic immunity and everything else. There's a reason why the Fantastic Four and Avengers don't just work with every single person they know.
2: Right. And
1: invade Latveria.
2: Right. Right.
1: Partly because they've tried and it's backfired spectacularly. Yeah, it's
0: not. That's not a thing you want to (laughs) do.
1: That's not a thing you want to do. It's like, that ain't it, Chief.
0: That ain't, that ain't it. Ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. No, sir.
1: But they've tried.
0: Mm. They've tried. So, like, and they've been... What were they told by the State Department? Numerous times, the Avengers was told by the State Department, "Uh, that's a sovereign nation. You can't just waltz in there doing your little superhero shtick. Also, the people that don't hate Doom. They don't no. hate him. Hey, so... Every-
1: Every time he's not in power there The country falls It, ju- it absolutely
0: ruin. falls in a ruin Absolutely
1: Constant abuse of power, military dictatorship Police, state mm-hmm. Lack of access to Every kind of education And health care, mm-hmm.
0: and, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: and like When he's in power They have access to all that stuff Because Doom still considers it Regardless of a lot of his goals Right and a lot of his actions, his goals are ultimately rooted in saving humanity from itself. Right. And we we've talked about it in during the Black Panther Doom War episode. Right. He was deemed worthy by the gods because although his actions may be sickening, his goals and intentions are our peer. Right.
0: Like, he really believes the shit he's saying. This is not yeah. him um, using he
1: that. Tru- he truly believes that him saving or him conquering the world is truly the only way for humanity to not wipe itself out. Yeah. Yeah. And given how much time travel he's done to get to that point and everything he's seen right. backs that up. Right. That's
0: And that's the thing about it with him. Um, yes, we can make an argument that Doom is arrogant. Yes, we can absolutely make the argument that Doom is ruthless. But Doom really believes what he's doing is for the best interest of the planet. And a lot of times, what I find when these heroes uh, uh, have conversations with Doom, they totally don't get him. Period. Because they'll say things like, he's a despot. He's this. I don't know if you can argue that he's a despot when his people love him. That's not, I don't think that. Well,
1: you, can you, sc- you can, but it's the whole, you know, benevolent dictatorship. Oh, uh, you know what?
0: That's the a good point. That's true. Even That's true. Is
1: That's a true. a far more caring one, even if it's more caring than the democratic alternative that's still very considered a dictatorship. True,
0: but my question would be outcomes matter. So take Lavarian. Look at their outcomes. Look at the general happiness index of the Lavarian people. Then you come to the United States that that professes to be a democracy. Look at the outcomes. <laughs> outcomes matter. Like <laughs> listen, listen. Their system of government is not the same one that's over here, but I'm still looking at the outcomes to see which is the result. Like if, if I if I am trying to fix something, right? And this person comes to me and suggests a way to fix it to meet this certain goal or end result. And another person comes along and I try both of them and the other one works and that other one doesn't. Just saying.
1: You gotta go with the one that works. I gotta go
0: with the one that works. Now, the downside to to that is uh, no no leader is immortal. What happens when that guy, that guy could have just been... A, um, it reminds me of the whole thing about Captain America, right? Captain America's a super soldier. He's also the best of the super soldiers. Because the rest of them bastards, there's something wrong. There's something wrong there, right? So while Cap was around, Cool, but once Cap is gone, man, you gotta, you gotta really wait. Do you, do you really want a, a race of super soldiers run, <laughs> run, around the planet? Like, do you really need that? Doom might be a unicorn. When Doom's gone, who takes after him that can follow in his shoes and do exactly the way the way that he does and get that same result? I don't know if anybody can. We know his son can't.
1: Can't. Well it, that, that That's a tough one Because I mean Dr. Kristoff
2: mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely could not Right But But Kristoff was adopted Not his biological that's, son That's true And, and they that's have true. been going into About how Uh He does have a biological son, like he has actual kids now and he sees himself in them. Right. And like he has like a a biological son and daughter.
0: Now these kids, how old are they?
1: Oh, they're like ten.
0: So maybe in maybe in years to come. They're
1: they're not ready yet. yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe in years to come. If they and that's us also. If they if they've been groomed, um, much. If you look at the whole the line of Black Panthers, typically they're groomed by the Panther before them, so yeah. they're groomed to rule. They learn certain aspects of it. They learn about the nature of the, the civilization they're in, the history of it, um, what works there and what doesn't work there, what their uh, priorities are, all of that, through the person that's actually ruling. Is Doom ruling? Is he is he raising his kids?
1: Yeah, it's like I said, it's kind of tough to say wh- who, how this or that aspect will uh, play out.
0: Because if his kids were raised by Reed Richards,
1: I don't believe that they could. Do, <laughs> I don't no, believe that they, do. they they do live with him, right? Okay, so all right, they are in Latveria.
0: Good, good good i've have they ever to your knowledge written any futurist stories where um his kids not
1: not not that i'm aware of
0: for for right now what we know of dr doom's future largely comes from the thor um story where he still exists at the end of time and has collected a litany of powers from all of most of the legend, the only power he doesn't have is the Odin Force, like,
1: he has yeah,
0: everything
1: else, yeah, what he has was everything. It? The else. Iron Fist, Sorcerer, mm-hmm. Supreme, the Phoenix,
0: it's insane. The Star Brand, it's insane. The, the level of power he had, uh, the Agamotto, um, uh, Agamato's um, Jewel, all yeah. of that, like, he, he was insane with power, um, at that time. But that was supposed to be in the future, that's the only thing I can recall. Of a future, future event way off when humanity had already um died off for the most part. Um he was still around. Um but yeah, man, uh politics and comic books is something that's always been, and it will likely always be. Something Stan yep. Lee says um is quoted as saying about that. He said, um, while he, he often took a, a stand against racism and bigotry. Um, he and preached love and tolerance and all that. He also regularly talked about how that even those stories are meant for, and even though those stories are meant for entertainment, if, if they didn't insert their own beliefs into some of the characters and stories, they would fall flat. And I kind of agree with that, because in order to make something look fantastic, you have to put it next to something that's mundane.
1: Well, look at Stan Lee, who once said, it seems to me that a story without a message, mm. however subliminal, is like a man without a soul. Right. Right. And, like, right. basically saying, like, if you don't have these kind of messages, the story's going to be kind of empty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's
1: also been known to say none of us live in a vacuum. None of us is untouched by the everyday events around us. Right. Events shape our stories just as they shape our lives. Sure, our tales can be called escapist, but just because something's for fun doesn't mean we have to blanket our brains as we read it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I think um to me that is uh that that wraps it up nicely. Like that I don't think that can be argued and I think people I think people only have this 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 fake nostalgic attitude towards older comics you know where it's just oh got to chase the bad guy the hero's got to chase the bad guy and he stand, the hero standing on the rooftop looking cool with a cape yeah. flowing in the wind that's what well, they think comic books is
1: well i mean like let's let's look at Scott Snyder for example mm-hmm. he no relation to Zack Snyder <laughs> They have the same last name, and...
2: That's about it. ...kind
1: of weird that they both became big names in comics. Right, right, right. Because it's not a super common last name either, but no, they're not related at all. But, like, Scott Snyder is an active comic writer who's done Batman, he's done Iron Man, Superman, Justice League, Mm -hmm. Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. He even did a bunch of the writing for Attack on Titan. Right. Like the the, the manga stuff, not the yeah, TV show.
0: Wait, a minute, keep going, keep going.
1: And he's very active in his beliefs of making a point of transitioning real world issues into comics. He he has written in comics about gun violence and environmentalism and police brutality. He takes real-world issues and puts them there. He's covered climate change, biological warfare, political isolationism. And despite all this, he's openly said he cannot get as political as he'd like to with certain characters. Something like Batman, because the character is meant to be kind of... A centrist, kind of independent, not quite left, not quite right, just whatever. Where a character like Captain America, based on his origins and his history, which we've talked about in the first episode of this series. You can make hugely political stories about because of the character's origins and what they represent. And beyond that, we also, we've covered X-Men multiple times because of how they cover all these events.
0: I have returned. (laughs) There you go. Um, Something else I wanted to um, talk about, too, uh, while we're on that topic, um, about the, the, the politics and everything. You mentioned earlier about Iron Fist and Luke Cage, right? If you look in both of their um, series and in the Heroes for Hire series, they tackle issues of systemic racism, wealth discrepancy, um, and being social outcasts, right? Yeah, like that's all politics. Now, maybe some of you didn't read those stories; it's entirely possible maybe they weren't the heroes you followed mo- mostly. But even some of the more well-known, the bigger teams like uh, the Avengers with Black Panther, there was. All kinds of politics with Black Panther being a member of the Avengers team. Because he was the head of a sta- of a foreign state, right? And oh, yeah.
1: That's like the current Avengers.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Leading to what? The Thunderbolts of America or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or not Thunderbolts. uh Squadron Supreme. Squadron
0: Supreme. That's it. Squadron Supreme.
1: Because Black Panther not only is the head of a foreign country, it was already controversial enough for him to be part of the Avengers. Right. But him being elected as the head of the Avengers, they decided the American government and Colson, who was being manipulated by Mephisto, decided we can no longer fund them at all. They get zero support from the U.S. government on anything. They're not even allowed to base their operations in the U.S. It was part of why they moved to uh, the body of the celestial. Right, right, right. right. Which is kind
0: of weird if you think about
1: it. Like, they're living in a dead body.
0: Hey, listen, listen. Check this out. (laughs) I thought that that at one time too, but then I realized I remembered what the celestials actually are. And to be quite honest, Is it really any different than living in a mountain? I mean, these things
1: are... Well, they they do call the celestial body Avengers Mountains. So, it's (laughs) not really. (laughs) You (laughs) know
0: what I'm saying? Like, it's not... These things, celestials are... There's something different, man. Like, they they, they are... They almost feel like an intrinsic part of the nature of that reality there. So, it's like... I don't know. The the origin story of of them is convoluted at best because you had different writers or whatever but i think the going one was that they were created by um uh he who was above all and they went out and started creating life and in the universe and shit like that and then eventually they 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 piss off no and (laughs) but i think before then there was two types of them and they went to war with one another one type um disagreed with uh i'm guessing the 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 group of celestials that went out and started creating things or whatever and one thing led to another and there was a fight that broke out between them two so those things they're just they're just different they're different and the the amount of power that's coursing through that corpse i mean look even in nowhere um the head of the celestial they literally was mining the brains because it has rich minerals (laughs) And rare resources and shit like that. So uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. It's a little different, a little different. But yeah, uh, uh with with Black Panther, um, the fact that he was the, the the foreign head of state, like that caused issues, cause you know the State Department is they, they try to figure out what the fuck going on here, like 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 why is this this king a part of this uh, uh, um, American team? so to speak um what is he doing operating within our borders doing the things that he's doing and even though he has diplomatic immunity kind of right he's still involving himself in things that you know state department might might take issue with that's politics it's all politics what about green arrow green arrow was a biggest hippie
1: especially the green arrow and green lantern run mm -hmm. because For the longest time, neither one of them had uh,
0: their own book, right?
1: Their own book. It was a shared book,
0: right? Like they 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 dealt with drugs, poverty, and all kinds of stuff. Like it, it's to the point where you would absolutely have it'd be a rare thing for you to find a, a stretch of, a, common, a stretch of years in comic books that didn't deal with some sort of political subject or topic. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping what y'all get from this from this series of videos is that some of y'all need to calm down just a little bit on that whole, I don't like politics and comics, because I can easily say, if you don't like politics and comics, you don't like comics. You're not a comic book fan. You're not. And if you're not a yeah. comic book fan, what you like or don't like, you, like doesn't matter.
1: Let's look at it this way. Uh, plenty of characters. In this case, some of these are more supporting characters. Yeah, have huge political aspects to their character. Right, Lois right. Lane. Absolutely, determined reporter isn't shy about confronting the powers that be for mm-hmm. a story, mm-hmm. even if they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Actively does this, and that—that's gotten her into some. In serious problems, like I think there was that recent checkmate event that Mm -hmm. involved her in question and a few others.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Her father's a high-ranking military man. Yep. Like like Uh,
1: Colossus. (laughs) uh, Especially throughout the '80s and '90s, right? There were multiple Colossus-based storylines about how. He was not only raised in the Soviet Union, but he's still an active communist. Right, right. He actively does believe it. He talks about, like... And they would have him comment on the differences between America and Russia. Right. Where... And he would point out, like, yes, America has freedom of press. America has all these... Look at all these things for... That they can do where, like, you can print whatever you want and then like which should be a good thing and then look at what you print nothing but celebrity gossip <laughs> and he straight up calls it out it's like you have all this access to things that a lot of countries don't have
0: and look what you do with it
1: and nothing of import is done with it where you might not have those things in places like the Soviet Union right but what you do have access to, arguably, is based around making you better.
0: And, and uh, yeah, and also,
1: and it, I mean, when you look at like real world aspects of that, such as the amount of doctors, The yeah. amount of university graduates, Absolutely. medical advances, all that stuff, countries like the Soviet, like the Soviet Union before it fell apart, mm-hmm. was one of the leading in the world for pretty much every major stem field. Right. Countries right. like and even today, countries like Cuba still put out more doctors per capita.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Than almost any country in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's and this is despite everything being done. So, like, there are positives and negatives to all this stuff.
0: To all political it, systems. Also, <laughs> also, the fact, think about this. Now, when... And
1: we talked about it already, but, like, Black Panther. Yeah. How can he lead the Avengers team and be a, a, a king of a foreign mm-hmm. nation?
0: Mm-hmm. Where's his interest a lot? Least, uh,
1: he... Sam Wilson is Captain America. Right. A lot of that run tended... was done as a view of being in this sh- this position of power right but growing up because like remember Sam Wilson grew up as a street kid involved with gangs and drugs and all that kind of thing right so he came literally from the bottom <laughs> and, and now, now he's re- here <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I made that reference. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I hate myself for that
0: no but you're right you're absolutely right in that and just even I'll spin the block on the whole uh, uh, freedom of speech and you can have these publication things is anybody here prepared to argue that that hasn't in some ways bitten the United States in the ass when you have people literally able to write and influence flat out misinformation and lies and people didn't live their lives and make decisions based on those lies that they so you can't really have both right you can't have a system and will and expect a good outcome. You can't have a system that allows anybody at any time to say anything, write anything, and publish anything they want, but then skimp on your educational system so that the people don't have the tools to be able to d- to d- discern what's fact, what's not fact, how to fact check, what's real data, and what's made up shit. You can't have if you have both of those two things where the public school system is failing on their, on their end of that, but yet anybody can write and say, it's going to bite you in the ass, and we're seeing that now. We're seeing that right now. So, like you said, it's it's a give or take. Humans are not perfect, so the things that they create won't be perfect, and that includes political systems. It's just a give or take of what you want. And, like I said, I tend to look at outcomes. I look at outcomes like, okay, that philosophy sounds good on paper, but once you put that into practice, what is the end result? And if that end result doesn't seem like it does the great greatest mm-hmm. amount of good
1: does, for does the greatest amount of people actively talk yeah. and act like it does.
0: Yeah. I can't really I, I can't really give it a cosign. And I think a lot of times what comic books do, do is they do play out some of these scenarios. And yes, it's gonna be a little biased because that person is writing it has their own political belief systems and blah blah blah, but at least you get to see it played out in the story and if it's done creatively I don't see why anybody' should have a problem with that i don't yeah i don't I don't see why but um I'm thinking that's it for us today um we hope yeah. you guys understand th- um what why we did this series how important we thought this series was, and we will definitely of course go back to our um uh, less uh, a serious uh, format that we did previously but from time to time when it warrants we will be having episodes like this where we discuss the deeper ramifications of comic books and the themes that are used and the tropes that are used in these comic books because we feel like that's an important part of it too and a lot of times when you don't discuss it uh, comic books always gets a I, I feel like a bad rap of being frivolous uh, and not a, a, a not serious genre of, um, of of literary endeavor. I disagree. Just dig into the books, you'll see that it's some very important influential stories that are told in between the pages of a comic book. Just because that man has a cape on and a mask, doesn't mean he's not serious. <laughs> All right, doesn't mean he's not serious. Um, is there is there anything you trying to promote this week?
1: Uh, no, not at this point Outside of, you know, uh, all our usual stuff
0: Absolutely and that Rise is,
1: Podcast that's right uh, Every Sunday at 11 Eastern 12 12 Eastern
0: mm-hmm.
1: We have our, you know, Jaded Nerd on YouTube Every day, Celebrity Gossip Absolutely We got our, you know, our Saturday morning cartoons
0: <laughs> <laughs> The Black Culture Geeks you know what's funny? About, what's funny about you saying that? Uh, fairly recently, um, uh, uh, SPJ had an interaction with someone that actively watches the show that, that he works with, and she she actually referred to the show as the Saturday Morning Content. So that's the official. That's the official name there. Like that's it. That's it. And of course, um, um, don't forget to check out Addie's Game Room, and you can find that on. Facebook. Him streaming live on Facebook as well as uh, YouTube. Um, But that's about it. Uh, So, uh, for my man, Super Saga, I am Tombstone the Dead Man. We are Metas and Mutants, and we are out of here. Peace. Peace.